Hello, I'm James Cornby and welcome to Capital Talk, the private wealth podcast brought to you by Stevenson Harwood. Welcome to the show um, where we'll be discussing the world of transparency and asking the question, do we have any rights to privacy left? Joining me is Bernadette Carey, a partner in Carey Olson's Cayman office, and also Keith Robinson, by huge coincidence, also a partner in Kerry Olson, this time in the Bermuda office. So I'm not sure what's happening there. Welcome both. Bernadette, firstly, I realise it's early there in Cayman, so thank you for, for joining me. And um, as well as being a partner and specialising in trusts and private clients, I understand that you know how to drive reindeer. I do. I do. I have my uh, my very own license um, to drive reindeer. It comes in very handy in the Cayman Islands, as yes. you'd expect. <laughs> I thought it'd be easier to get an Uber, really, wouldn't it, in Cayman? But <laughs> yeah, one of those very handy skills I have to uh, to use at any given time. Well, let's hope we don't uh, need to utilise your reindeer driving skills uh, on this podcast. And Keith, uh, you're a partner in the Bermuda office. Um, I was in Bermuda in the good old days when you're allowed to travel on aeroplanes and arrive unmolested. And no doubt he's sitting there in Bermuda shorts right now. <laughs> And Keith, as well as being a partner specialising in private client litigation, apparently knows his way around the undercarriage of cows. Keith, would you like to (laughs) elaborate on that statement? (laughs) Well, firstly, James, to confirm, I am in fact wearing Bermuda shorts. Excellent. At this very moment. Good man. And secondly, I I do know my way around the undercarriage of uh, a dairy cow because I was born on a farm in rural Northern Ireland. Fantastic. As it happens, Keith, we have something in common. My family are big into dairy farming and I was once invited to try and milk a cow and I did not find it a pleasant experience. You really have to tug on those. You have to tug <laughs> yeah. on those lugs, don't yeah. you? It is an art, yeah. You've got to go straight in. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're here to talk about the world of transparency and, we, and this is a world that we, we are increasingly having to live in. And in the backdrop of a major announcement by the... Uh, Foreign and Commonwealth Office on Thursday last week, eight British overseas territories have uh, committed to introducing publicly accessible registers. And um, I had to have a little chuckle to myself when I saw the list, because obviously on there is Cayman and Bermuda, well represented by you two today, but also Anguilla. And then we've got the Falkland Islands, Montserrat, the Ascension (laughs) Islands, and the one that made me laugh the most, and I can't help it, is Pitcairn, which has a population of 50 people. <laughs> we are in good company. Yeah, so I don't think, I don't think the loss of Pitcairn companies will be massively felt by the uh, international finance world. But I just wonder if, um, Bernadette, you wanted to comment on the list and who's on and who's not on and why. You know, it's an it's an interesting one. The 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 list is it sort of goes back to the the question that came up right at the start, which is sh- you know should we agree to this and can we have this forced on us? What should we do? Um, and the BVI was quite vocal at the outset, saying you know this is not what we're going to do. We're not going to be forced into it. The Cayman Islands took a bit of a step back on that front and said, well, you know, we need to consider this. What's this all about? Um, I know that there's a, a UK government white paper that says, look, the UK can do this, it can legislate for the overseas uh, territories. We're one undivided realm and this is just how it's going to work. Um, so I think we've all come around to that concept of, you know, we probably should do this. There's been some consensus building and, you know, you want to be on the right side of it. The, 
the, the ultimate aim is probably a good aim. And I think the BVI, speaking for the BVI, um, will probably come around to that view as well. And maybe just, is just taking a little bit more massaging at their end to get things through. I don't know if you've got a view on that as well, Keith. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I mean, in Bermuda, we are always very keen to tell the world that we've had uh, publicly accessible uh, share registers for 70 years. Uh, and when we say that, that's actually really true. You know, I very rare, very commonly go to a corporate service provider and ask them for the share register to see who owns the company, see who the directors are. And so yeah, I guess our struggle in Bermuda was always the public, publicly accessible by sort of central registry issue rather than the fact that we didn't want to disclose who were the shareholders of our, our companies. But it's an interesting development and definitely also a bit of a change of direction for Bermuda in the sense that we had said previously that we wouldn't do it. And then we announced last week that we'd, um, we'd had a change of heart. Bernadette, you said that uh, the BVI might require a bit of a massage to get them into to this position. And Keith, you said that you've had publicly accessible information, but that's just on directors. I think the big change is the disclosure of the beneficial ownership of companies. And bearing in mind that there isn't such disclosure, for instance, in the United States and other jurisdictions, I wonder if you feel that this uh, commitment to have the beneficial ownership registers will reduce the competitiveness of the uh, financial centres that you represent. I don't think, James, that it will. I mean, we we do, just going back one stage, I mean, Bermuda has had for many years uh, publicly accessible share registers. Now, I fully appreciate that a share register is not the same thing as a beneficial ownership register. The shareholders could be nominees, but there is that element of disclosure and publicly accessible information about who owns the, the equity of, of Bermuda companies. But I don't really think that there's going to be a, a lack of competitive advantage by the overseas territories or the offshore because we... We offer more than tax advantages to sort of in, in the private client world to, to international families who, who want to structure their, their assets in, in a tax efficient, but also in a jurisdiction that's responsive to their needs. But I guess Bermuda, though, has never been a big jurisdiction for pumping out company incorporations in the way that the BVI is. And, and, and maybe that's the reason the BVI is um, scratching its head for a bit longer. And I, I mean, the BVI is the most popular jurisdiction for company incorporations. I think Cayman lags a long way behind the BVI, and I don't know where Bermuda appears on the uh, on the top ten. So, do, do you think Bernadette that it's because of its position as the number one incorporator that it's taking more time? Yes, absolutely. I, I think that has to be it. I mean, it's such a huge revenue generator for for the jurisdiction, and. You know, I think there's also what we tend to forget is that sometimes it does just logistically take a bit longer to get things together in some of the island nations. And, you know, things particularly in this regulatory space sometimes happen at warp speed. And we, we have all of this new legislation and regulation coming down that we have to comply with by deadlines. And um, sometimes it's just not possible because of the mechanisms in place in some jurisdictions. BVI in addition to consulting over it and thinking about it a bit more, may just take a little bit longer to work it through their, their government and legislative systems. Now, the government said uh, in its statement last week, um, and this is Dominic Raab, who we've been seeing a lot of lately, it has to be said. He said that uh, he's hoping that beneficial ownership registers will be the norm by 2023, and therefore that won't significantly affect the competitiveness of the overseas territories. I don't know what world he's living in, but I'm not sure that it will be the norm by 2023. And I wonder if he's giving the overseas territories some wiggle room to back out of this 
if it's not a global norm by that date. So I wonder if you feel that your own territories will be giving yourselves that wiggle room to back away. What do you think? Um, I don't think it will be. I mean, it's obviously not going to be a global norm because the US is not going to do it. Yeah. And so we we already see, to some extent, uh, trust tr- structures, especially with US beneficiaries, moving to places like North Dakota, Nevada, and uh, other um, US states that are sort of seen to be sort of a, on, onshore, offshore, if you like, in the US. So we don't have, we, we're going to lose that bit of competitive advantage. But it's it's a very rare, to me anyway, it's a very rare family that doesn't have a US nexus, that wants to have a, a structure in the US. So I don't see the, the, the world's private, the, the private wealth, uh, bulk of the work that comes from all over the world to places like Bermuda and Cayman suddenly going to South Dakota. I think I agree with you. As as a lawyer who does structuring, I'm, I think um, a lot of people will be asking where the hell South Dakota is. I always answer that to say it's slightly south of North Dakota. Well, it's where Mount, it's where Mount Rushmore is, isn't that right? That's right. But I think you'll find most people don't know where that is either. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've seen it on the TV. Um, it's somewhere in America. Now, let's just move the debate on a little bit that the overseas territories have committed the crown dependencies, and for those listening who don't know the difference, crown dependencies being Isle of Man, Guernsey and Jersey, they've come up with their own commitments to bring in beneficial ownership registers. Again, using that same wording, if it becomes the global norm. So I think they've given themselves some wiggle room. And of course, the UK government doesn't have the power to legislate over their heads by way of an order in council. So my my next question is really on that constitutional point, and I'm I'm looking at you, Bernadette, for a, an answer on this because I had a very interesting dinner with a senior lawyer in Cayman last year who shall remain nameless, but he said to me that the Cayman government was willing to fight this on constitutional grounds. So what's changed? Because that was big fighting talk, and that was summer last year, and now they're caving in. What's going on in Cayman? You know, I think it goes back to what I said earlier about can you fight it? Do you want to fight it? Is it the right thing to fight it? And it's that old right side of history situation as well. I mean, what's it's an interesting look to say, you know, there's this regime that's designed to to tackle crimes like tax evasion and, and money laundering and corruption and terrorist financing. And this is what everybody else seems to be signing up for to... Um, to fight the good fight? Are we going to stand our ground and say, this is not fair, we don't want to be part of it? You know, and then there's the, the actions by the UK government to try and get some consensus building. There's been time taken to try and develop our legislation so it's a little bit more palatable. I think that's what you're seeing is we have to look at the bigger picture. We already fight reputation battles every day on this. And so I think it's finding a way where this is going to happen and how do we be part of it in a way that works for us. So Cayman's woken up to the fact that it needs to have a public image, which is acceptable, I guess. And that's why they decided not to fight. And maybe the optics of fighting the UK government in the courts. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's it's not a great look. It's not a great look. But um, I want to then move the debate really on to rights to privacy, because then we have one right, which is apparently the right to be transparent, butting heads with the right to privacy, which actually is a human right. And I haven't actually read the judgment yet, but we had the Shrem 2 case out the other day on the issue of privacy. So at what point 
do you think this crunch will happen and the wholesale publication of beneficial ownership information actually be in breach of privacy laws? And I'm not just talking about the European Convention on Human Rights, but also GDPR. As lawyers, do you have any views on whether or not your laws, when they're enacted in 2023, will be compliant uh, with human rights legislation? I mean, it's a very difficult situation and we, we had almost a perfect storm in the Cayman Islands. I shouldn't use the S word in the middle of hurricane season, but um, <laughs> on the template. But, but we really did. I mean, we uh, on the one hand, we were debating, uh, we have a new data protection law here. GDPR was in the background. We were looking at economic substance legislation. We were implementing beneficial ownership legislation. So balancing on the one hand, all of these new disclosure pieces of law we needed to implement together with these protective pieces of legislation and they don't sit happily together and we actually delayed the implementation of our data protection law to give it a bit more thought. Um, So I think in Cayman at least it's going to take some time for us to not to keep using the word massage but to get everything sitting comfortably together And, and I'm not sure where we're going to get to. I mean it's a really good question. We have our own special legislation here in the Cayman Islands called the Confidential Information Disclosure Law, and that's a whole other layer of protection of of confidential information and legal proceedings here. I don't know if you have something similar in Bermuda, Keith, or um, the same challenges that you're facing, but it's it's a long road ahead for us to get to a comfortable position. Yeah, we have a privacy law as well, which is not yet in force, but we've appointed a privacy commissioner recently, so it's sort of on track. Uh, we have a constitutional right to privacy in the 1968 constitution, and that's the basis, for example, on why our courts can sit in private to deal with confidential trust cases. But James, I think, you know, it's, it is an interesting point as to whether or not this sort of path to greater transparency is actually going to breach the constitution. But going back to my previous point, I think we've just got no, as a jurisdiction, we've just got no choice. You know, we, 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 there's an international train running, and either we get on that train or, or, or our international business sector uh, will suffer. You're being very pragmatic, Keith, which, of course, I'd expect you to be. <laughs> so um, thank you for those comments. And now before we go, I always, at the end of these podcasts, ask something a bit random. Uh, we've been in lockdown here in the UK, and I know that... Um, your islands have been various states of lockdown. And I was just wondering what your guilty pleasure was to while away the time whilst you're in lockdown, be it food, be it entertainment, be it alcohol. Bernadette? Um, mine was um, hiding in a cupboard not too dissimilar from the one that Keith is currently in recording this away from my children <laughs> <laughs> for at least 10 minutes every day. <laughs> they are four and six years old and... Uh, were my office mates for three months. So that was my guilty pleasure, just getting 10, 10 or 15 minutes alone, maybe with a glass of wine each day. You would sit in a cupboard <laughs> with a glass of wine, hiding from your children. It's an amazing image. Keith, I'm not sure you can beat that, but have a go. So in our lockdown, we uh, could go no further than a kilometre from home. But I downloaded that really great app, uh, which let me draw a map. From I live on top of a hill. So I was able to do my usual uh, five-mile run from home, never going more than a kilometre from home. Uh, so I, that was that was not really a guilty pleasure. That was really a pleasure. Uh, my guilty <laughs> pleasure was teaching myself how to make cosmopolitans when I got back mm. from my run. So I'm pretty good at that now. So we're left with the image of Bernadette hiding in a cupboard, <laughs> drinking wine and hiding from her children, while Keith is outside mixing cosmopolitans. I think that's a good way 
of finishing the podcast. Uh, I'd like to thank both of my guests, Bernadette in Cayman. Thank you, Bernadette. Thanks, James. Pleasure to be here. And thank you to Keith Robinson in Bermuda. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, James. Thank you very much, all of you, for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to Cattle Talk, brought to you by Stevenson Harwood. I'm James Cornby, and I look forward to seeing you next time.